Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Our guest today is Eric Sue. He's the CEO of ClickFlow and chairman of SingleGrain, a digital marketing agency. He's geek famous in the lead gen world, and I'm thrilled to have him. Eric, welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. Thanks for having me. What is it, Eric, that drives you to be an entrepreneur? What is it about your childhood, your upbringing, the people you looked up to in your youth that led you to choose the career you're currently in? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good question. I think, um, you know, at least for me, I, and I think this question, thinking about the childhood for most people, it's it's the vast majority of, of people, I think the childhood ultimately shapes them into who they are. Um, and I, I'm no different. I think, you know, growing up in a Asian household, you have two, uh, you have a Taiwanese and a Cantonese parent, and then they're always beating down on you. You know, things aren't good enough. You got to be better. You got to be better. Um, there was that, a lot of that going on, but then a lot of resentment built up and I, I just built up, meaning I, I wanted to, um, prove them wrong. I didn't want to really listen to them, but I also wanted to prove them wrong. And, um, to me, I always, you know, I zigged where other people zagged. So people did well in school. I got really good at games. I wanted to do my own thing. Um, and in college I played a ton of online poker, right? So I decided to get good at the things I wanted to get good at. And I think, you know, I, I did feel lost growing up, but I was, I was just, you know, growing up as a gamer, I was like, man, if I can just apply this type of intensity to something else in real life, I'm going to be fine. And ultimately I got lucky in, in terms of finding business as my, my ultimate canvas. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of similarities between Asian immigrants and Jewish immigrants. And if you think about like second generation Jewish immigrants, my parents, Man, they were, they were poor and they worked so hard and they went to school and they became doctors and lawyers and, and they, they did really well. And then they had like this generation of kids that was kind of soft, you know, and wanted to be artists and musicians and, you know, other uh, liberal arts professions. Um, so I guess you would be third generation Asian immigrant, right? I guess I mean so they they moved here before they um, then then they had me here so wouldn't that that would make me first generation right? Well, first generation would be the generation that uh, moved here. Okay, so yeah, that would be them. So I would be second then. So you're second generation. So it's interesting because you know a lot of um, uh, you know if you look like in higher education today, you know there's Asians are very well represented. You know they do very well in school. I don't want to generalize, but certainly a lot of, um, you know, at the time when they, when they set up these, um, these legacy rules at the colleges, at the Ivies, they set them up because they didn't want too many Jews to get into the colleges. I never knew that. Wow. Yeah. Um, Fried Zakaria, who I loved, did a special on uh, the admission scandals right around the time when everyone was, you know, being thrown in jail for, you know, buying their kids in school. And that was one of the things that came out of it. They were worried at these blue blood Ivy League colleges that it was going to be all Jews there. So they passed the legacy rule. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, well, anyway, keep going. Interesting. Anyways, um, I want to talk about, about ClickFlow. But first, talk to me about what you were doing before ClickFlow. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a, 
I'm going to go back to kind of using the gaming analogy again. There's a couple businesses that I have right now. And, and again, businesses, the canvas, ultimate canvas, where I can kind of just jump around and, and do whatever I want. Um, so before ClickFlow, I was, um, I did, uh, I'm thinking back to kind of the most relevant experience. So I, I did run marketing at an online education startup called Treehouse. Um, then I, I went to, I flipped over to an agency called Single Grain, which is a failing company. And I was actually able to take over the company um, and that's a whole nother thing. I was basically able to buy the company out of pocket $2. Um, and then I was um, able to, at the same time, build my, my two podcast audiences and then, you know, do my, my YouTube channel and everything. So I basically was doing the agency. I was creating a ton of content. And then that eventually led over um, into doing what I'm doing now with ClickFlow. Set, which is a SaaS software as a service offer, right? Yes. Which is interesting because... You know, for your clients, you have a lot of experience um, generating leads for different types of products, right? Some products are information products. Some products are e-commerce products. Some, uh, some products are one-time e-commerce sales. And then some are subscriptions, SaaS, you know, which is kind of different, right? So when you think about how you're going to set up a lead gen campaign for a company, if it's a subscription company, how does that change your thinking? Yeah. So, I mean, th thankfully the, the company I was at before this was a, a, a SaaS company. And then um, I actually, I, I was able to, a lot of my audience centers around SaaS. Uh, I speak at a ton of SaaS conferences and um, we, the agency actually works with a ton of SaaS clients. That, that's the vast majority of our clientele. Um, so what I would say is, you know, when you think about uh, subscription versus like e-commerce, for example, you're thinking about, you're definitely thinking about unit economics, but you're thinking about them in a different way. So what do I mean by that? Well, with SaaS, typically what happens if you're driving Facebook ads or Google ads, you're trying to drive people to fill out a lead form, right? So, you know, name, email, phone number, and all that. And then after that, salespeople will generally jump on the lead. They'll qualify the lead, and then, you know, they'll, they'll give them a call, and then they'll set up a demo, right? That's, that's how the funnel typically looks. And then, um, you know, the depends on... Usually the, the, the dollar value would be a lot higher when you have a salesperson calling for, for SaaS. We're talking about paying, you know, 50 to 100 to, you know, seven figures a year for the contract. Um, now, the difference with e-commerce then is you could easily run ads on Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, whatever, um, and drive people directly to a product page and you can get them to buy immediately. And your goal there is to get them into your funnel. You have the email list and you're constantly marketing to, the, marketing to them um, through email and you're remarketing to them. So it's... Um, you're utilizing the attention, the mechanisms out there, but it's, it's a different um, funnel, um, if I'm making any sense. Well, I mean, it's, it's so much easier for me as a consumer to make a one-time purchase than it is for me to make a subscription purpose purchase, even if it's inexpensive. You know, even if it's $6 a month, I mean, you know, it takes the morning show, you know, to, to get me to subscribe to, to Apple TV Plus. Without that, I'm not subscribing. They and got you. Your <laughs> shows for free. You know, it's really tough, right? So when you think about structuring some sort of a funnel or some sort of a conversion call to action opportunity to bring someone into a, a funnel for uh, subscriptions, what's different about that environment? Yeah. So I think that the most, um, I think the most tactical thing I can share with people right now, if you're looking to getting in, into any subscription of, of any kind right now, is to not just do a free trial, but do a freemium model. Now, what I mean by that is you give uh, HubSpot's a good example. They're a CRM and um, they, 
have a lot of their features unlocked for free. So you can sign up for it and you can start using their CRM. But a lot of the, the, the higher tier features, or if you want more contacts or whatever, you're going to have to upgrade for that. And so I was speaking to um, HubSpot's um, APAC general manager, so Asia Pacific, um, last summer. And he said they came to a crossroads as a company. This was before they became a publicly traded company. Um, basically, you know, the executives decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to move over to this freemium model. And 99.5% of the company was completely against that. Executives decided to do it anyway, and their company just took off. And I had the, one of the guys that was on that team, the growth team that did this, who's now their VP of marketing, Kieran Flanagan. Um, he spoke to me about it a couple weeks ago, and he's like, yeah, you know, once we made those changes, it was just game busters for us. Growth just took off. And everyone in Silicon Valley now refers to this as product-led growth, meaning that you're leading with the product, you're giving a large portion of it away for free and people can upgrade if they want. That's much better than doing like a, a free trial because sometimes to your point, people don't want to put in their credit card, even if it's seven days, 14 days, 30 days. Like I just don't want to do it because I might forget. You know, you think about this concept of product led growth, which everyone's talking about. What about product led marketing? And I'm thinking about like a product like Slack or a product like, you know, Zoom, which both are having their day in the sun as a result of the pandemic. But even prior to that, right, if you want to be on the call, you got to get an account. If you want to participate in the conversation, you got to join the channel. So really, it's the product itself that's driving the growth. In that case, there is no marketing, right? The product is the marketing. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't just, you know, they, you can't just say build it and they'll, and they'll come. Um, but in many cases, this is, you're seeing, it's kind of a function of build it and, and, and they'll come, right? Obviously you need to go out there and get in the hands of the right people. But here's the, the cool thing. When you think about software, when I think about our software, like there's, I, I've tried comparing this, right? And, and when you say, oh, I'm an agency, dime a dozen, you're a commodity. Everyone knows you're an like, okay, everyone's an agency, right? You, you almost learn, you almost, in some cases, you can see there's disrespect in the room when you say you're an agency. Now, when you say you have software, people are much more receptive to the conversation. So when you lead with that, it's much easier to get sales conversations as well. So to your point, yes, you lead with the product um, and it becomes much easier. So, um, Let's talk for a minute about the impact of the global pandemic on digital marketing. How is it impacting your clients and, um, and how's it impacting the broader industry? Yeah. So um, I think there's a, there's a really good study done by Orbit Media and it talks about, uh, basically they surveyed about 122 um, digital marketing um, agency owners. And so if you are in B2B right now and you are, I guess, you know, short answer to your question is it depends, right? Like if you're doing work that we're doing like paid media and, and SEO, that's, those are our main services um, on the agency side. Now, usually you're, you're expected to lose business right now. Now we've, I would say for us, we've probably seen some decreases about, I don't know, um, for 20% of our clients, we've seen decreases. Now, when I talk to other agency owners, it's more around like, you know, 40 to 50% or so, right? Um, and in some cases, like if you're in events, you're down 80 to 100% right now. So it depends on where you're at. But I would say for uh, B2B, you've, you've been probably okay. You've been able to hold steady. We haven't really lost B2B clients. B2C, you see budgets dropping or people having to pause. Um, and so, you know, Obviously, you're going to have to monitor this this week by week because things change so drastically, right? But what I would say is I think any type of agency business right now, I would expect them to lose about 35 to 40%. And again, like when, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, this could be way outdated. It could be like way higher, you know, when you listen to this. So, you know, we're in the bubble, you and I, 
We network with people in the digital marketing space, in the digital business space. I mean, I've, I've been doing remote workforce management for a decade. You know, for me, existing in a virtual environment is nothing new. But for a lot of companies, it is, you know. For a lot of companies, this is sort of a, a, a big moment. And so, so I guess my question is, is this the go big or go home moment for companies that still haven't sorted out their digital marketing? Yeah, well, I, I think... I think it's it's beyond just digital marketing. It's it's like if you haven't sorted out your business model and you haven't adapt if you haven't started to adapt right now, you're going to die. Because I've been on a lot of these entrepreneur calls. You can see it's like deer's in head deer in a headlight syndrome, right? They don't know how to adapt. They're just talking about furloughing or laying off people, but there's no plan moving forward. So I think um, yes, definitely. If you don't get your digital marketing right, but I, I think. To me, digital marketing is table stakes now. This is why you see in uh, Silicon Valley, you know, people just hire, you know, demand gen people and, you know, to run their ads and it's almost like raise VC and then you run ads. Who knows if that model is going to be the same after this? I bet probably not. Um, but I would say, look, the way even us looking at our, our marketing agency right now, sure, we're still doing work for our clients, but we're also looking at the broader picture. Okay, where's the, where's the world going to be going after this? Well, there's definitely going to be a lot more online education. People aren't going to college right now. So we're doubling down on our online education offerings, right? So I think all this to say, how does this relate to me um, as a listener right now? Think about how you can adapt. Think about where the world's going and think about how you can, you know, go to where the puck is going instead of just thinking about how you can kind of, you know, protect what you're, what you're holding on to. Because I, I can tell you one of the mistakes that I heard from, uh, uh, you know, a person on our team um, was like, we just need to get more clients right now. We just like, that is just a way that's like holding on to something and not willing to let go and not willing to understand that the world has changed. And you have to understand that. So um, webinars are nothing new, particularly for B2Bs. You know, we've been doing that for a while, uh, but now, you know, everybody and their brother is doing a webinar. I'm seeing blog posts everywhere about how to do a good Zoom meeting. Are you guys seeing more demand from your clients to put together uh, and produce Zoom webinars and, and other online events? Yeah, you, you know, um, I would say not from our clients per se, but I do a ton of Zooms every week with um, our email list, um, the group that I have for our, our podcast. Um, you know, I, I just, it's zoom all the time, zoom with my team, zoom with my friends. It's just, um, and we do these town hall meetings where we're just kind of answering people's questions. Right. Um, and so what I can tell you too, is from other agency owners, they have been doing, um, kind of these Brady bunch, you know, zoom calls with their, all their clients and just introducing each other. And they said that, that those have been super helpful and we might consider doing one of those soon. I love your podcasts, both of them, Level Up and Marketing School with Neil Patel. And if you think about the different things that you do to build demand for ClickFlow and Single Grain, how would you rate podcasts versus other channels, such as blogging and social media? What's, what's most effective? So, I mean, if I were to break it down by numbers, if I look at, uh, let's just look at the agency for a second. Okay. So, you know, both of our clients are largely big tech or SaaS companies. Um, 50% of our, um, our leads come from SEO, which is like our blog. Um, 15% come from our podcast and 35% come from speaking and networking. Now, what I will say is any client that comes uh, directly through podcasting, their sales cycle is much shorter. They stay a lot longer and the contract sizes are much bigger. So, and, and then I think, why is that? Because they built a relationship with you, right? They feel like they know you. They, because you're in their ear all the time and they're, they're usually doing something else like working out or cleaning or something um, that just, and by the way, most people listening to podcasts still are more, uh, more affluent. 
Um, so, you know, it is what it is. And, and who knows what's going to happen right now? I, I think podcast listening is actually down, but that's another topic. But the thing is, you know, I, I was listening to your um, recent conversation with Nathan Barry, and you were talking to him uh, on uh, Level Up, the, uh, the recent episode of Level Up, we'll have a, a link to it in the show notes. Uh, and he runs a company called ConvertKit, which is um, an email marketing platform. And you were talking to him about growth, and he talked to you basically about, you know, latching on to an ideal, a really narrow ideal customer profile, going right after that. And when I look at Level Up, and marketing school, they're pretty broad. You know, it's not like you're focusing on a specific type of marketer or a specific type of um, performance marketer. So, so, but you're still hugely successful. H- how do you explain? Yeah, I think, um, I think Nathan's advice, and I probably agree with him for the very beginning for people, you start, you start smaller. It's probably better, more advantageous if you niche down. And if I think about the first podcast, Leveling Up, it took me years and years to get to success. And for marketing school, we really didn't start to um, see the you know seven figures a month in, in, in downloads until maybe like three, three years into it. Um, so it, it takes time. And what I would say is this, the more, when I think about, okay, let's use this as an example. When I think about single grain, we're known as being a SaaS marketing agency. Um, that makes conversations a lot easier. That makes it much easier to get a deal done. And when people listen to Leveling Up podcasts, when they listen to the SaaS founders and then they come over to Single Grain, that also makes the deal a lot easier. When it's very broad with marketing school, we actually don't get a ton of opportunities from marketing school. We don't get like a lot of big leads or whatever. We actually, there's a big portion of people that are beginners listening to marketing school. So I think if anybody's looking to start a podcast right now, you're better off niching down because um, it's hard to go broad in the beginning. You rather, I'd rather have a, an audience of a hundred or a thousand true fans um, you know, instead of just like a hundred thousand people that are kind of just, you know, all over the place. Talk to us a little bit about YouTube and your experience there. Cause I know that in addition to the podcast and in addition to both podcast and the blog, you also have a YouTube channel. So talk to us about your YouTube channel and your experience building that audience. Yeah. So our, our YouTube channel isn't huge. It's like 36,000 subscribers and it took a long time to get there. And I, I actually want to tie into two points together. YouTube, our YouTube channel is fairly broad with the marketing topics that we cover. It's almost like marketing school. Does that make sense? Um, so when we do that, and I think about my overall life mission, I have a book coming out called Leveling Up. My entire mission is very unrealistic. And that, that's what our mission is. It's, it's to level up the entire world. So if we're going to have a mission as broad as that, that means the content that we're trying to cover, you know, naturally we should broaden it up a little bit. Um, I just continue to do, continue to do that. Right. So um, going back to your question, how have we been growing our, our YouTube channel? So we've been doing our YouTube, I want to say consistently for maybe three and a half years or so. Um, and what has made us not only just us, but you, you look at uh, other people's YouTube channels, what makes those channels successful is a, you're usually you want to have a longer video, probably 10 minutes or so. If you have a video that's 10 minutes or so, your watch time is naturally going to be higher. Your average watch time, which is how long people are staying on the platform because YouTube wants to show more ads. That's their incentive. Second thing is you want to have a consistent thumbnail. So for us, we have a purple tealish type of um, image. So when people watch one of our videos, you can see in the suggested videos, you can see kind of the, the similar thumbnail. So that will entice people to click through. The third thing I would say is you want to have a very good headline. That kind of goes without saying, but people still don't think about their headlines enough. Um, and so, 
you know, David Ogilvy said 80, 80 cents is spent on a dollar when you're writing your headline. So you want to make sure you have, a, you have a good headline. Those three things, if you stay consistent with it, you should be, you should be better than most people and you just need to keep going with it because if you stop posting, you know, the algorithm's not going to favor you anymore. So you're, you're playing this game. In terms of timing, right? You've got to feed the beast on a regular basis to keep your subscribers happy. But then on the other hand, you need some time to test your headlines to see what's going to work. So do you actually move uh, to smaller groups first in other channels and A-B test headlines before you post live? Or do you A-B, A-B test with optimize? No. So, um, you know, the, like ideally we would do that, but you know, you find that if we have a creative team and our jobs to get content out as quickly as possible, we kind of have to make exceptions. Um, and in this case, we don't want to hold them back. Right. So we're trying to rapid fire, push things out because you know, our, our they have other responsibilities too. So we don't want to hold them back. So do you ever go back and, and, and sort of tweak the headlines? If you have uh, a, a show that's an underperformer that you think was particularly good, would you ever go back and tweak the headline? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. We actually have done that a couple of times and sometimes it, it, it performs way better once we tweak the headline. So um, it's like, I'll, I'll give you an example, like an early this morning I went live. I went live for like 18 minutes or so. And it was a generic headline. It was like business advice with Eric Sue or whatever, right? That's kind of the, the scheduled live that we have. But I changed it to be a little more targeted um, to say, hey, like, you know, here's the case for making quote unquote old content, right? That's likely to get more clicks on my channel because my channel is interested in marketing. But if every title is business advice, people are probably aren't going to click. Um, are you are you checking out TikTok at all? What do you think of it? Have you seen Gary what Gary Vee is doing on TikTok? Any thoughts about that as a channel for someone who's not wearing a bikini? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we I mean we have a TikTok. We were testing it, but um, it just isn't a priority for us right now, given that we're already doing so much. So we decided as a team collectively that we're already doing too much. So we wanted to pare things down. Um, I think TikTok's great. It's just, it's not the right fit for our audience. And what I would say about Gary V is, you know, he, and I, I have uh, a former um, employee that works for him now. So I, he, he kind of, you know, keeps me up to date on, on what they do, but they, um, they don't post natively there. I think if you're going to do TikTok, you have to, have to post natively to the platform, meaning, you know, you're, what you're posting is formatted for the channel. It's not just like a repurpose from another channel, right? Which is what we've been doing. And those actually don't perform that well. So if you're going to do something, post natively to that channel. Okay. Um, it looks to me like what he is, it looks to me like what he's doing is native. I mean, I don't know his, his footprint a hundred percent, so it could be yeah. somewhere else, but it looks to me like yeah. it's kind of made for that format. Anyway, it's, it's not native. So the reason I'm saying it's not native is because he is not, um, you can see he's taking a video or a meme from somewhere else and he's reposting it. Right, yep. right. You know, that's, that's quick. It's clearly been re-edited. Yeah. And yeah. Reposted for that. Good point. So let's hear now. I want to hear Eric Sue's preferred MarTech stack. Go. Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's a lot of tools I like. I talk about a lot of tools. I get a lot of tools for free. Um, so I I talk about Hull.io all the time. That's H-U-L-L.io. Um, it's a customer data platform that helps me tie in all my my um, my different my disparate data sources like HubSpot, whatever outreach. Um, I do like Outreach. It's a sales enablement tool. Um, and there's a bunch. I mean, we use Intercom. So um, that's great too. And then for SaaS, I mean, we use Stripe and we use ProfitWell for MRR tracking. Um, and then for scheduling, we use Schedule Once. I mean, APIs are great. Um, so yeah, those are just a couple that that come to mind. Uh, just as a note, uh, listeners, um, we had 
the VP of marketing uh, from outreach on this, on this podcast, two shows back. So uh, go ahead and check that out. If you want to uh, hear more about uh, the outreach product. Oh, yeah. One, one more I would recommend Eric is um, actually, I mean, because we're doing this on video right now, like if I were to say, Oh, if we're to make mo- the most of this content, um, we use Restream. So we use mo- uh, Restream to simulcast from Zoom. And from our Zoom uh, podcast, we can push to all our channels. So LinkedIn, we push to YouTube Live, we push to Facebook Live at the same time. That way we're getting the most of you know, the, the effort that we're putting into, you know, if we're doing a podcast or whatever. But you're, you're starting in Zoom and then pushing out from Zoom to, to Restream and then from Restream to all your social channels. Correct. Got it. What about engagement? Do you have people sort of manning the comments in the native platform? Yep. So we do have a moderator that's that's in the call as well. And then, you know, we'll pause to, you know, address questions. So for example, tomorrow for marketing school, I'm going live with Neil at 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, we're going on Zoom and then, you know, a bunch of people are going to join the webinar itself. We're going to answer questions in there. We actually add those people into the webinar as well so we can see their faces. Um, so it's, it's, it's a nice way of, again, maximizing the time that we're putting into these things. In terms of bringing people live into a Zoom webinar, do you feel like you need to pre-screen them? Have you ever been, I guess, sandbagged by putting, bringing someone live and, you know, having them do something inappropriate or? No, I mean, because A, they have to, we send this out to our list and we only have a hundred seats, so we keep it small. And then the other thing too is um, they have to ask a question first. And if the question is like really like off or, or like it just doesn't fit, we're not going to add them to the thing. So it's, they pre-screen themselves basically. Yeah, I got that. Right. So, um, you know, in the world of digital marketing strategy, it all starts with objectives. You know, what are you trying to do? Um, How are your clients' objectives changing as a result of the pandemic? Um, How are KPIs changing? Yeah. So I wish I could answer that better, but I'm actually not involved with the day-to-day on the agency side of things. So I don't have a good answer for you there. So um, you are sort of manning the, the ClickFlow. Talk, talk to us a little bit about um, how the KPIs at, at ClickFlow are changing. Yeah, I mean, okay, so we, had, we have, you know, annual goals set. I think um, what I told the team when, this, when, this, um, when it got really bad was saying, you know, all the goals, no matter whatever goals we set for the entire year, they're out the window, okay? Um, and so we need to operate on a month to month basis. Now it's not even quarterly planning anymore. So we have monthly planning right now. It's, it's the same for every, uh, business that I'm involved with right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we look at it and we say, okay, we're going to cut our goals to, um, a third, right? We're just, ultimately, we're just trying to survive this year. This year is to many VCs, private equity people I'm talking to, uh, you know, this year's just survive. This year is a write-off. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. And if we can break the goal, Great, but we we basically discounted it by 66%. Got it. Now, when you're putting together a digital marketing strategy, either through single grain or at ClickFlow, how do you decide which messages to distribute through which channels? Like what works best over email versus social media? Yeah, I mean, um, you kind of have to be aware of, you know, how people, when when I talk about posting natively, it's also like, you have to be aware of, okay, the format, that's one thing, but how are people, what type of posts tend to, tend, tend to resonate, right? So when, when I think about, um, let's, go, let's, go, let's use email as a channel. So with email, I can tell you when we write a really long email, like a really long form piece, people, at least on our email list, aren't that responsive. But yesterday we sent an email and it's very casual. It was just like, hey, uh, Eric, 
um, you know, we're doing, we're doing these, uh, strategy calls. Um, you know, if you'd be interested in hopping on, all you have to do is, is click this link to book a call and a bunch of people booked a call. The response rate was probably double than what we usually see. Um, so you have to look at the numbers. You have to look at the engagement rates. And, and when I go to Instagram, for example, my own Instagram, um, we realized that, you know, me actually reposting tweets that actually performs really well. It performs like my top performing posts in the last 365 days. I think maybe the top six are actually just tweets, just me reposting a tweet, not even the, the hard, like the, the hard work we put into videos, not the hard work we put into images, the carousels that we do and all that. Um, so sometimes it's understanding, you know, what type of people are in your audience. So I know for me, the people that typically follow me on like a, on Twitter or Instagram might be more entrepreneurial. They might be looking to, you know, uh, they might be interested in marketing. So that's kind of stuff they're interested in. They just like reading stuff. Do you have a professional and a personal Instagram profile? No, I only have my own. Um, so personal and professional, they go together. Um, are you seeing a lot of creators out there that are generating passive incomes from content offerings? Or they, do they inevitably hit the ceiling based on their, their output? Yeah, I mean, okay, Naval has a really good piece on this. Uh, Naval Ravikant, um, I would recommend listening to his, pro- uh, his podcast. It's just an entire series, How to Get Wealthy. Um, and, you know, he talks about building leverage. So, you know, in the early days when you create content, nobody's reading it. And then maybe you go like a year, maybe like 100 people are reading it per month. And then you go another year, it goes up to 1,000. Another year, it goes up to 10,000 a month. Just keeps going higher and higher. But the amount of time and effort you put into it generally stays the same. So you are building economies of scale. You are building leverage. Um, you know, Andreessen Horowitz talks about um, kind of this influencer economy, right? You, you look at creators in China. There's teachers that make over $8 million a year. Um, I'll share some numbers with the Marketing School podcast. Between Neil and myself, the, the contract that we have signed is, you know, about $800,000 for the year. And we put in the same amount of effort. It's two people. Um, we spend like three hours a month on it. And, you know, it's great passive income for us. Um, so I think, I think now more than ever during a time like the, our, our, this pandemic right now, it's the time to start creating. I, I talked about it earlier today, like yeah, you, you, in, my, um, in my life, like, you, you, like sure, you can be working on your business, but now you can start building up your foundation, start building up your audience. And it starts to, you start to get the flywheel moving. And then you can have this other side income that you can use for whatever you want. You can use it to reinvest in your business. You can use it for your lifestyle. Um, short answer to your question is yes, I see a lot of it. I don't think enough people are doing it. Do you represent the um, advertising inventory in your podcast yourself or do you work with one of these um, advertising representatives? Yeah, good question. So we have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of these advertising companies reach out, but we, we manage ourselves. We manage our own because we have a good relationship with DreamHost, who is our sponsor. Um, so we just go direct to them. Uh, that being said, um, we do have a blog post that ranks number one or two for podcast advertising. And then I, I, I know for a fact that um, the advertisers that spend on that page, they are, they're crushing it right now. Who are, who are some of them? Uh, Midroll is one of them. AdvertiseCast is the one that sponsors um, our podcast. Um, I think those two come to mind first. When, um, when you're trying to grow a company, what are some strategies for getting influencers to talk about you early on as a way of building visibility and credibility? I think, you, you know, just as well as I do, Eric, I, I think, you know, it's, let's see, Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar has a really good quote for this. You help others get what they want, you'll get whatever you want. And so, you know, when you reach out to them, 
um, Gary Vee talks about jab, 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 right hook. So the idea of giving value first before you ask for anything. I, I think most people, they send out, you know, hundreds of outreach emails um, or DMs each week. And it's all, it says the same thing. It's not personalized. They, have, they clearly don't know who you are. They haven't thought through you. Um, so if I'm going to reach out to someone, I'm going to understand what is important to them and if I can help them first. If I can do that, then, you know, they, then they might turn around and say, hey, like, you know, how, how can I be helpful to you, right? Um, and so, you know, if, if, for example, I know someone's daughter really likes, um, really likes chocolate, chocolate chip cookies, I might buy the best chocolate chip cookies in the world, you know, send it over um, and then, you know, send over a coupon or whatever. And that starts to build a relationship, right? Um, so you have to think about them before you think about yourself. And I still think people get it wrong. They're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to get them on my podcast. And then, you know, I'm going to give them value because they were on my podcast. But the reality is they probably don't need to be on your podcast in the first place. So that's still the wrong, you're like, you're thinking, you're still thinking about it the wrong way. Um, and so, you know, I, I think most people screw up that right there. So you're saying actually take the time to profile the influencer, you know, figure out who they are, what they like, and be of service in some way to them other than just uh, asking them to be on your show or writing a uh, blog post about it. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I mean, you know, me working with Neil on, on the Marketing School podcast, back, like 10 years ago when I first started learning a lot of the stuff um, aggressively, I was reading his blog and um, you know, sure, I would ask a lot of questions, but I would also offer a lot of things to, to do um, for, for him, right? Um, and at the same time, I remember the, the guy that, that used to work for me and now works for Gary Vee, when he first applied to, to work for Single Grain, he wrote an 8,000-word blog post on the things he would do to change, um, you know, the, the, the website, right? And the, all the stuff was valid. And so going the extra mile to actually think about what the other person wants and then doing it, that is like levels above most people. If you break down media channels into owned, shared, earned, and paid, is there a logical sequence by which you deploy these channels or perhaps some other method for determining strategically what goes where, when? No, um, I would say for me, no, but I would say like the bigger your company is, you probably need to think about it a lot more. I, it's, I, I'm fortunate enough where I can move very um, quickly and, and swiftly as I want to. Same thing with Neil as well. Um, you know, I would say you start with, I'm trying to make this general for most people. Um, when you're starting out, um, or even if you have something going, you start with what works best. And then from there, you start with that. We call this content sprouting. So for me, let's say, for example, um, I'm, I'm, I'm good at uh, video. If I'm good at video, like what we're doing right now, it automatically becomes audio files, right? And we could chop this audio file, this interview that we're doing right now, we can chop it up into probably five or six different nuggets. Um, and then, so that's, that's six different podcast episodes from one video. We can chop the video up into little memes too to post to social media as well. So we're sprouting one piece of content into multiple pieces of content and then we're promoting it as well. So again, we're making the most of what we have because we know the attention so split nowadays. What about paid? Are you doing paid? Yeah, I do a lot of paid. Paid social, pay-per-click? Both, yeah. Paid social, um, pay-per-click pay as well. We do YouTube ads. Um, I mean, I, it, again, it, it depends, right? So if I think about, um, if, if I'm thinking about, you know, something that, that I can just simply target people and get good results, I might just use Facebook because Facebook is actually a lot easier to use than Google ads, in my opinion. If I'm looking for more uh, economies of scale, um, or, or more just scale in general in terms of driving more leads, YouTube actually has a lot more that, um, that you can target um, because it's a lot broader with targeting, right? So it just depends on what you're trying to do. So the last time we met, you recommended the mom test, yep. which I read and I got a lot out of. 
So now I'm going to steal a question from you, from your show, book recommendation. What yeah. are you reading? What have you read recently that you like? Yeah, well, I, I mean, there's, there's the one that really sticks out to me is The Great CEO Within. Um, it's written by this, uh, he's almost a coach to these, um, a lot of, you know, well-known uh, companies in Silicon Valley. And he's a VC. There's a lot of tactical, tactical information there on how to best run a company. And there's just, it's, re it's a really fast read and I'd highly recommend it for everyone. What about a marketing book? Um, traffic secrets. It just come out. Uh, it just, this just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, Russell Brunson was on my podcast. He, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's done all these books. He's done three books. Traffic secrets is how to get traffic and it's very tactical and I think very practical. I ordered it, but my copy hasn't come yet. You know, he pre-sells them all and then he prints them. You're, yeah. you got, you got an early advanced copy. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. He was generous. Okay. Last question. And then I'll let you go. Um, what are your favorite places to order takeout from during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, mine's easy because I live right above a sweet green. So I just eat sweet green all the time. Love sweet green. Yeah. And, and what do they do? Uh, do they deliver? Or do you have to go pick it up? I mean, I, it's so close. It's literally like a 30-second walk that I just go get it. Um, they, they do deliver for free. I could have that happen. I just, I, sometimes I just want to get some air because I'm, I'm, in, you know, I'm cooped up in my apartment. Are there any sort of small mom and pops or any other companies maybe that you enjoy doing business with that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah. Well, that they're still around, but when this thing is over. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Chica's tacos in, in downtown LA and I also love um, backyard bowls. I don't know. They're not really huge, That's, but they're not small either. Chica's tacos. Where's Chica's tacos? Chica's tacos is in, uh, it's in downtown LA right across from Whole Foods and they have on Culver city too. That's Tito's Tacos. Chicas. C-H-I-C-A-S. Okay. Because there's a famous one called Tito's in Culver City, but that's not what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned another one. Uh, Backyard Bowls. Um, I think there's one in Santa Monica. There's one in downtown. And there's one in Santa Barbara. They don't have a ton of them. but uh, Enlighten yeah. me. I've never heard of it. What, where is it? What it's is good. it? It's good acai bowls. Um, it's good um, smoothies. It's Acai good. Bowls. Yeah. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. If people want to find you, where can they do that? Yeah, uh, thanks for that. Uh, so you can go to uh, Twitter or Instagram. It's Eric, uh, Eric, E-R-I-C, O as in orange, S as in sugar, I-U, so at Erico Sue. Um, and you can actually, I mean, if you're, those of you looking to um, kind of build a consultancy or agency right now, um, you can book a strategy call with us. Just go to singlegrain.com slash call, that's C-A-L-L. -L. And yeah, those are the two ways. Awesome. And I'll also have a link to both of his podcasts in the show notes um, at ericschwartzman.com forward slash B2BLG. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.